the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another Conference USA edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for G5 football, chugging along through the offseason. And today we are focusing on the defending conference champs, of course, the Florida Atlantic Owls. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry with you once again and joined by a very special guest. Uh, You probably know him from his coverage of South Florida sports all over the Internet. And currently, you can catch him as the co-host of the Shula Bowl podcast for Five Reasons Sports. Uh, he is Mr. Jake Elman. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you guys for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, of course. And if you want to follow Jake on Twitter, you can at JakeElman97. And, uh, of course, my uh, co-host, who uh, we were just saying, is probably uh, probably mutually sick of, of Jake Elman. How are you doing, Eric Henry? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I cannot complain. I, it's it's tough to to you know. I wouldn't say mutually sick of Jake Elman. I, I would say his his hot takes tend to come you know uh, uh, often and spicy. And if you couldn't tell by his accent, he is a he's a New Yorker, so we do get a, a lot of that stuff I could live without. But outside of that, he's an all right guy. I, uh, yeah, you just got to take the bad with the good, uh, as they say. <laughs> what was the last? Wow, was the last an all right that, guy. Yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> What was the last uh, take you all had? A, well, I just said, what was the last take you all had a big, uh, big disagreement over? Jake, uh, uh, probably. I mean, they probably are daily. I'd say the last one. Uh, actually, Jake, you'll agree with this one. Uh, it's not so much us disagreeing as much as it is us disagreeing with uh, another a member of our podcast. But I think the last one that Jake and I had a big disagreement on may have been something uh, something New York sports related, probably something about the Yankees or something like that. I, I think it was something to, to that effect. Does that sound about right? I think so. I think it was when I had the very, very hot take that the Yankees should trade Aaron Judge or at least look into it because the guy can't stay healthy. And then I went on a mini rant about how somebody like Giancarlo Stanton, who great player, He's banged up a lot, and the Yankees are kind of stuck with his contract because of the unions and that stuff. And then that segued into a whole thing about money imbalances in baseball and the same things that people have been saying for the past 25 years about the Yankees, of (laughs) course. Yeah, if there's one thing you can say about Yankees fans, they are definitely opinionated. I uh, know that from following baseball myself over the last, uh, whatever, how long, however long I've been alive, 27 years, 28 years, 100 years. Uh, but I uh, could probably talk all day about that as well as FAU's baseball team. They're chugging along as well. But, of course, we're focusing on football. Uh, before we get too deep off topic, do want to talk about uh, some of the performances that we've seen from the Owls at the NFL Combine recently. Uh, let's start with Harrison Bryant. Had a huge showing at the NFL Combine. Uh, NFL actually named him to their all-offense, all-combine team recently. So, uh, Jake, what are your NFL expectations for Harrison Bryant, and what do you think of his Combine performance? I want to preface this with... I don't claim to be a draft analyst or a scout or anybody like that. I can only go off what I know of Harrison as a person and what I saw at FAU. Um, What I saw of him at FAU is somebody who is a dangerous option in the passing game. Lane Kiffin compared him to Rob Gronkowski. Some people, I know Landon Zerline of NFL Media has invoked George Kittle's name. Those are lofty expectations, but Harrison Bryan, he's got the work ethic, he's got the skill set, and 
with the Gronkowski thing, uh, Harrison did meet with the Patriots at the NFL Combine last week, and obviously they're still trying to find some offensive weapons. Gronkowski retired after 2018. Uh, I think Mohamed Sanu is a free agent, or he's getting a little older. I know he was banged up last year, so they need some young blood. And, you know, Harrison Bryant becoming the next potentially great Patriots tight end I think would be really fun. I mean, I'm a Jets fan, so twice a year I'm going to have to look away. But And then with him as a person, great character kid, very smart, somebody who came to FAU and was very open to maturing as a football player. He played offensive line in high school, and he was still raw as a tight end. And John Rain, who is still at FAU, he's a grad He's a graduate player. He's a fifth-year senior. Harrison was saying how John Rain was saying to him, hey, you know, you got to watch more film. This is what we do. And Harrison really, I think, he didn't shy away from that, which is what some younger guys might do and paid off with the career that he had at FAU. Awesome. I know we're all certainly hoping for the best for him and uh, his upcoming pro career. Uh, let's shift gears to the defensive side of the ball. I know another prospect that uh, has some decent expectations for his pro career, uh, James Pierre, defensive back at FAU as well. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of what he was able to show at the Combine, but uh, what do you think of him? And I uh, think there's a place for him in the NFL. I think there's a place for him. I think you know, the 40 time, he's not a burner. I think the official that they gave him was 4-5-9. Whatever, he can improve on that at his pro day later, and he'll have the pro, and he'll have the private workout. So I'm not too concerned. I think with him, maybe he's a guy who could benefit from being around older, experienced players and maybe play some special teams as a rookie, depending on where he goes. But when he was at FAU, I thought two years ago as a sophomore, I thought he was really one of the bright spots in that defense. And I thought last year there were a couple of bad games. He had some penalties against UCF. FAU's entire secondary got burned against Western when Lucky Jackson went off for, I think it was 206 or 205 yards and a couple touchdowns. But Pierre was a constant bright spot, and we saw that in uh, the Boca Bowl against SMU. So he's somebody, I think, he has a good support system around him. He's got a good agent with Tony Richardson, who also represents Devin Singletary and Kareth White. And I think Pierre, he's got the work ethic that wherever he goes, even if he's not a day one starter or a day one guy who is going to see rotational reps, maybe he's just a practice squad guy or even just a special teams guy, I think he's somebody that when the time comes can really turn into a good NFL player. Certainly agree with that, and uh, I remember that Lucky Jackson performance well as a uh, Tops fan. But um, when you think about the FAU defense and what they're dealing with going into 2020, uh, Glenn Spencer, of course, left for USF in the offseason. Jim Levitt took over that defensive coordinator role. Uh, as someone who follows this program extremely closely, what are your expectations for the Owls defense going into 2020? Uh, it's early, Joe, because we need to see what some of the new defensive linemen can do. That's a group, both uh, both the ends and the tackles, even though they're moving in with 3-4, they got decimated by graduation. We don't know what's going to happen with Miko Dotson, who jumped in the transfer portal at the time that we're talking. He hasn't announced where he's going yet, if he's leaving FAU. 
Kiki Leroy, who I thought had a really strong case for Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year. He's away from the team right now. He's got some personal stuff going on. I don't know when he'll be back or if he'll be back. Hopefully he gets back because FAU needs him. But I think that what happens with the defense, we may not know how good they're going to be or where they stand until potentially middle of September. They brought in some very talented guys in the signing class, especially Malcolm Lamar, who was at FSU. We'll see if he can get a waiver to play immediately. But it's going to be a lot of young guys getting snaps and getting a chance to step up at linebacker, at defensive tackle. I really like Latrell Jean, who's a redshirt freshman, played at Lakeland on Florida, won a state title there. And in the secondary, they've got some young guys. I really like Dwight Toombs. He's a safety uh, from the Treasure Coast, not too far from FAU, a couple of hours. And he's somebody, very good work ethic. He's a hard hitter. He's got a good eye for the ball. He's somebody, depending on what happens at Devon Brown's old safety spot, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dwight Toons maybe get in the mix for some secondary snaps. Can definitely see how that would happen. Uh, you talk about all these kind of position battles coming up for for spring ball and all that, or rather, are ongoing in spring ball currently. Uh, what do you think we should be watching for in the FAU spring game, which is coming up on April eighteenth here? Uh, well, I would say part of that is just how the defense is progressing under Jim Levitt, and some of that stuff is admittedly hard to gauge this early, but. Some of those young guys, how are they playing? What are they showing fundamentally? Because, yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but for the most part, are they doing the things that this staff is teaching them? If they tackle in the spring game, how are their tackling skills? How are they reading the ball and reading the play? And I think on the other side of it for the offense, I want to see not just what happens with the receivers, but the offensive line, because you lose Brandon Walton and Junior Diaz, your left tackle and your center, but you also brought in a lot of guys, and it seems like even though you have three guys returning, two of those spots, right guard and right tackle, might be open. I think Desmond Noel, even with the new coaching staff, deserves to start next year. And I think it's only against Nick Weber and Marquise Robinson on the right-hand side, but those spots might be open just because you have so much new blood and this is a new coaching staff. Certainly makes sense. Uh, speaking of coaching staffs, uh, Lane Kiffin, of course, left for Old Miss in the offseason. Curious to see how that situation goes. I know you two have exchanged a couple tweets here and there over the course of the last uh, few months and during uh, Lane Kiffin's tenure at FAU. Uh, Jake, what's your relationship like with, uh, with Joey Freshwater? Well, my heart is still fractured over the fact he left. No, I had a great relationship. Um, I have a ton of respect for him, and I've always said I really appreciated how he's treated me, how he's always treated me. I mean, I started covering him. He came to FAU when I was 19, and he left when I was 22 and the college graduate. So that was three years that I got to see everything he did up close, and I think it was three years where I think being around him and covering that team helped me grow from, admittedly, an immature 19-year-old who thought a little too high of himself into a more humble young man. And, you know, for that, regardless of what happens with Lane's career, I feel I'm always indebted to him.
Nice. Certainly better when uh, coaches are, you know, adopting that kind of personality as opposed to the alternative. Cause I know we've certainly seen it go uh, the other way in terms of coach media relations. Uh, Eric, you ever have an experience like that uh, on either side of that spectrum? Yeah. Um, you know, I can actually relate to what Jake is saying in that when you, and I'm sure Joe, you can as well, you know, being in the um, athletic sphere uh, when we were in college, mm-hmm. I uh, as listener to this, you know, fine podcast may know I went to the University of Central Florida. When I was there, the head coach of the football team was one George O'Leary, who uh, George O'Leary is, is many things, but he uh, is probably the definition of old school. And um, he he had his his ways in terms of being relations or cultivating relationships with the media and whatnot. And student media, I wouldn't say was necessarily his favorite. So that made it to be a very unique introduction to covering sports. And, and on the flip side, you know, I've dealt with certain coaches. I mean, even in my time in Chicago, whether it was with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern or even now, you know, with, with Butch Davis, who um, I, I don't think everyone has to be, you know, chummy with the media per se, but I do think there's a certain level of respect that should be there between media and coach and understand that, you know, inherently because of the, the job uh, on both sides, you know, there is going to be a relationship and you can do it in a way in which it's, you know, antagonistic or you can do it in a way in which it's respectful and upfront. And I, I think um, even from my own interaction with Lane last year at Conference USA Media Day, when I, I kind of had a little fun with him and asked him what the, his relationship is with Jake, you could tell that there was a lot of, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of respect on both sides. And, you know, that's always good to see. So, uh, yeah, to, to answer that question, Jeff, I've had it both ways. It, it was unique being a young 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, or I should say was, at that time I was probably 20, 21 in dealing with one George O'Leary. But uh, I will use that as a segue into my first question, Jake, which is the current head coach at Florida Atlantic University is one Willie Taggart, who is coming off of a somewhat of a seesaw tenure, or I guess it's safe to say a seesaw, not somewhat of a seesaw tenure at Florida State, and is making his return to the Conference USA landscape. Of course, he was the head coach of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I believe, Joe, when you were there, correct? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, For reference, I was never a student at Western Kentucky, but he was probably like one or two years before I really started following the program to the, to the extent I do now, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my time is a little bit off there, but all in all, uh, Willie Taggart's making his return to the CUSA landscape, even though at the time, Western Kentucky was part of the Sun Belt. He's familiar with many of the schools there, FAU, FIU, Western, Middle, um, I believe North Texas as well was part of that Sun Belt. Anyhow, uh, to bring back to you, Jake, what are your first impressions of Willie Taggart and what may change from the Lane Kiffin era? Maybe that, you know, goes in terms of maybe relationship with the media or just overall in terms of uh, administration, how you think things may change with Willie Taggart being in tow down there in Boca? I think that's one of the more interesting spring storylines, both on and off the field, because I remember when Lane Kiffin got to FAU, it didn't take long for the players who had been there to say, this is a lot different than it was when Charlie Partridge or when Carl Fellini was here. The tempo of the practices was different. The expectations were a lot different. There were more consequences if you didn't show effort, but it wasn't consequences in terms of just just snaps it was there was a feeling that coaches and your and your teammates were disappointed and I bring that up because now Taggart inherits an FAU team that that culture is already there so I think part of it is 
how do you keep some form of that culture going that Lane Kiffin and Wilson Love built? And then I think another part of it is how can you improve the culture? And it's nothing against Lane and his staff, but I think that there are always things that you can do differently. And I think that's a benefit of Tagger bringing an experienced staff. He's been around a few different schools. Jim Levitt, great head coach, great conference USA head coach with USF. Some other veteran coaches, Raymond Woody, Stanford Samuels, even guys who have been around FAU like Chris Perkins, just guys, you know, you're bringing in a lot of different people, guys who Taggart's worked with and guys who he hasn't. And I think watching them come together to build a new culture and improve on what Lane Kiffin created, I think will be really interesting. And in terms of what is different, well, we already know that for the first time, at least since I've been there, players are going to talk to the media before practice instead of after. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, and I don't think it is a big deal, but I think that's an interesting little change, and we'll see what else, both big and small, is altered in the coming months. Quick follow-up, Jake. What's the reception been like of Willie Taggart and Boca? Uh, I still think it's early. I think for the most part, it's been positive. I think there's been a little bit of hesitation only just because of what happened at Florida State. I think Taggart got a raw deal at FSU. I think he came in when Jimbo Fisher didn't leave things great. I think Taggart needed a bit more time. And I understand. I'm a Syracuse fan, so I get how the ACC works. I understand that you know most of these schools, they can't afford to do the rebuilds. They can't afford to take their time. But Taggart, for the first time at FAU, is getting – He's coming into a score. He already has his quarterback in place. He already has proven guys that they can that they don't need to necessarily build around, but guys that will be able that they can bring guys in who will be the future that can learn from these upperclassmen guys. Guys like Willie Wright, Desmond Noel, even though he's only been here a year on defense, Zion Gilbert, Karan Hafiz. So. I think the big thing with Taggart, I think it's two things. The first is, can you develop the players that you inherited who haven't played a ton? That's what Lane Kiffin did. People forget Harrison Bryant, he played as a freshman, but they didn't really use the tight ends. Well, Harrison Bryant leaves FAU as probably the best tight end in program history. Lane inherited Motor and Aziz Alshire. Mother Singletary, both of whom were already great players, he turned them into future NFL guys. So if Tagger can do that with some of these young guys, Latrell Jean, Ian Cole, the receiver out of Niceville, Florida, Federico Morangas at center, I think FAU will be in great shape. And I think the other thing is just building off what Kiffin left. This is arguably the best stretch FAU has had since moving to the FBS level. And the talent is there. The coaching staff is there. Conference USA is always a very weird conference. I think that the East is definitely winnable next year. So me personally, from the not from kind of an objective point of view, I think things should work out for Taggart next year. Ten wins might be asking a bit much just because of all the holes that they need to fill. But I would be very surprised, and I would honestly be disappointed if this team doesn't win at least eight games and isn't in the running for the East title. 
big, something that Joe and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is because kind of the facility landscape across Conference USA, and obviously, you know, it varies from team to team. Some teams have newly built facilities. Some teams are kind of working at it. Can you talk about how much of a game changer the Smith, excuse me, the Smith Family Athletic Complex, which I had a chance to see as it was under construction when I covered the Shula Bowl last year, and it appears to be ready and fully formed for the 2020 season. Tell me how much of a game changer that'll be for FAU in terms of recruiting and just overall football atmosphere. I think it's going to be huge. I think football, they don't want to call it a football-only building, which I understand, but football for the first time really does have their own building. They have their own weight room. They have bigger meeting rooms. They're not meeting in you know, these small classrooms that also served as the media room. They actually have true meeting rooms with bigger boards where they can put projectors, a giant team meeting hall. It's right next to the stadium. And recruits for the past two years have been talking about how excited they are. Ray Ellis, who was at FAU for six years, said that might have been his biggest regret was that he wouldn't get a chance to play a year calling the Schmidt home. So I think it's going to be a game changer, not only with recruiting, but just keeping guys' morale up this season. Because they're going to, I mean, they're already working out there. It sounds like they may have some practices there this spring. Once they fully move in over the summer, I mean, you're preparing for defending a year as conference champions in a beautiful new training facility next to a beautiful stadium in Boca. How can you go wrong? And just for point of reference, Jake made reference to something that, you know, I'm sure the FAU fans, when they hear this back, they'll think that I am saying this because I cover FIU. I'm actually saying this just for the point of reference for the rest of the uh, conference listeners who may hear this. He said that the media room uh, was inside of a classroom. He wasn't being hyperbolic when he said that. It actually is. If you um, have seen the, the former FAU media room, it literally was a classroom. You would see the players or Lane Kiffin would sit at a, at a desk and it would be a classroom with almost like kind of like a chalkboard or a whiteboard behind it. So that just goes to show you what they're coming out of, what they're moving into. But to transition to on the field, talk about the running back situation. I know heading into last year, the big name was B.J. Emmons. But then when you take a look back at the stats, and obviously B.J. Emmons had the uh, broken ankle or leg. I'm not sure which one is off the top of my head, but he did come back later in the year. When you look back at the numbers, they got a lot of production from a guy like Malcolm Davidson, who had 711 yards, a young freshman Larry McCammon from Hoover High School in Alabama, had just a take over 300 yards, and James Charles, guys like that. Just talk about how deep they are at running back. That's a unit I'm really excited about. The only guy that they're losing right now, and I say right now because, as we know, the transfer portal never sleeps, is Chauncey Mason, who came on late, had some big runs when that unit was banged up. The big thing for the running backs this year is going to be durability. B.J. Emmons, obviously he missed the first two months in change, aside from the Ohio State game with a broken ankle. He came back. He was great at the end of the year. Larry McCammon was banged up all year. Malcolm Davidson had a couple different injuries, uh, a groin at one point. And, I mean, you saw him against FIU. There was concern he wouldn't play that game, and he wound up running for, I think it was three touchdowns, and FAU blew FIU out. So, look, if all those guys can stay healthy, I'm excited to watch this offense. And I want to keep an eye on two young running backs. They're both redshirt freshmen, Kelvin Dean and Glover Cook. Kelvin Dean, at least – 
he's expected to be classified as a redshirt freshman. We don't know for sure if he played in four or five games last year. NCAA says you don't have a redshirt yet. You play in four games, you can keep your redshirt. We'll see what happens there. Glover Cook was hurt, so he got to keep his redshirt. There are two guys, Emmons and James Charles, are in their last years. I'm expecting both of those guys to have big roles in 2021. But as for 2020, Glover Cook, if he gets back from his ankle injury, that's a guy that can beat you on the ground. You could put him as a receiver. He could beat you there. He might even be a weapon on kick returns. So he's an all-purpose threat the same way Kareth White was. And Lane Kiffin's first year, he was experimenting, maybe giving Kareth White some reps at slot. I think Glover Cook, if Willie Taggart and his two offensive coordinators were to try something similar, FAU may have another star running back waiting in the wings. And once again, we're joined by Jake Elman, who is a freelance journalist and is the co-host of the Shula Bowl Pod on Five Reasons Sports, covering Florida Atlantic football. Uh, talk about another position that is going to lose a little bit of production, or actually a lot of production, actually, is at the receivers. We talk about Harrison Bryant, but they're also going to lose D'Angelo Antoine, who was the grad transfer from South Florida. Who are some of the guys that may step up? Uh, in an earlier article when I talked about transfers that can be found on Underdog Dynasty, I kind of spotlighted two guys. TJ Chase, a transfer from Clemson, former four-star guy, and Aaron Young, who uh, had a solid career as somewhat of a reserve and then started this, pa- this past year, excuse me, at Duke. What do you expect from those guys and maybe any other names you should keep an eye on for Chris Robinson at the receiver spot? Well, Aaron Young is uh, here right now, so he's so, he's going to have uh, that early advantage just because he's already working with the team. He's somebody I think will play a role. T.J. Chase intends to arrive here over the summer. D'Angelo Antoine did the same thing last year, and we saw how dynamic he was. So just because a guy gets here uh, in July doesn't mean that he won't be able to contribute. Two young guys I keep in my eye on. Um, I mentioned Ian Cole earlier. He was taking first-team reps last year, and then unfortunately he tore his ACL, so he missed the year. We probably won't see him back until the summer. If he gets back quick and he learns this new system and he's able to contribute, he might be a guy, even if he's not going against Minnesota, he's somebody who I think could be a weapon in Conference USA play. And I know I said two guys. I'm kind of combining these two guys, Rasan Lewis and Tariq Owens, the sons of Ray Lewis and Terrell Owens. Rasan Lewis had a great fall camp last year. Uh, he wound up redshirting. He played in a couple games, but Charlie Weiss Jr. said that Rasan had done a really good job on scout team. And Tariq Owens, I've heard good things about the development he made last year on scout team and this offseason and just the conditioning program. So not saying he's going to be his father, but as an outside receiver and you have some holes there, Maybe he could turn into a goal line threat. Got two more and we'll get you out of here. First one, Jake, they're now, or excuse me, we're now entering the 20th year of Florida Atlantic football, the program that was started in 2001 with the first head coach being Howard Snellenberger and seeing how far they've come in 20 years. I know you've had the chance to talk to some former FAU players and obviously you've covered the program for three years. So, you know, you've been around the program a lot. Um, can you just talk about two things? One, what is the fan enthusiasm, you know, down there in South Florida? And obviously you have a, a myriad of other things you can get into in South Florida, uh, not including, you know, the Miami Hurricanes and FIU Panthers and, and, you know, sports teams, just things you can do in general. 
and then also talk about the attendance a little bit. I, I know um, it's something that you had, you talked about with former players and that they do notice that, you know, they travel to other Conference USA schools, whether it be a, even an old Dominion where they're in a, a new stadium and maybe they're selling that out or you go to North Texas or, um, you know, a myriad of other schools and, and you see that those stands are packed, let alone going to play, you know, a, a, a quote-unquote Power 5 team and you see what the stands look like there. And they notice that when they come back home, it's, you know, at FAU and, and at other places as well. I'll, I'll include FIU in this in this hypothetical as well or in this situation as well. You know, you're playing in front of uh, stands that are quarter full. Uh, just talk about that a little bit. So I know I kind of combined two things there, but just what do players, what are they talking about as far as the attendance and just the overall fan enthusiasm down there with this program now entering its 20th season? I think last year was the start of the players being open about people need to start coming. And we started getting that feeling from guys before the Shula Bowl, <clears throat> excuse me, before uh, the Southern Miss game, the last regular season game. Here's the thing. Say what you want about there's a ton of stuff to do in Boca. Say what you want about, well, the stadium is exposed to the elements, which is one of my biggest criticisms because it always rains in South Florida. That attendance wasn't growing three years into the program when Lane Kiffin had established a winning culture. He had a ton of players to build around that you could market. Well, there's Singletary, Harrison Bryant, Aziz Alshire, Kiki Leroy, Chris Robinson, et cetera, et cetera. And the same people were always going. You weren't getting any new blood and new fans in there. I think that's when, as a fan, as an impartial party, I think you have to step back and say, well, why aren't more people coming? Is it because of what we saw against UCF, where the game day operations were a disaster? Is it because the game day experience just isn't good? Is it... Just as simple as FAU plays in Conference USA, I don't know. And I think that this is something that eventually the school is going to have to figure out. What I do know is that I don't – I shouldn't say I know, but if you're somebody who thinks that the tennis is going to go up big time because Willie Taggart's here and because they're the defending Conference USA champions, I wouldn't say that just yet. Let's see what happens. Ole Miss, they just hired Lane Kiffin. Their ticket sales are up 78%. I don't know what FAUs are up, but all due respect, after seeing 11,000 or so people in the stands for the Conference USA Championship game, 13 or so thousand for the Southern Miss game, how high can your expectations really be about attendance next year? Yeah, you know, as someone who's covered this league, I've been to a, a myriad of the Conference USA venues, whether it's been, you know, covering FIU, obviously I've been to FAU, been to Charlotte, um, been to uh, West, excuse me, been to North Texas, you know, Old Dominion. There's a lot of beautiful venues across Conference USA. So, you know, hopefully sooner or later we can uh, get the fans out there. And like you mentioned, you know, uh, attendance is down across all of college football. It's not just unique to Conference USA, but it is something that, like you said, the players are starting to notice. The Final question before I get you out of here. We know that you are now a, a a New Yorker living in the Sunshine State, and our claim to fame, one of our biggest claims to fame, is the legendary pub sub. Joe, uh, I know he's probably going to get hungry as I mention this right now, but uh, if you were giving my friend Mr. Londrigan uh, a pub sub recommendation, what would they be? All right, so you got to get the five grain bread. And you got to, I mean, you can do this as a half, but I think it's better as a whole 
because it's going to fill you up on the first one so you get to save the second half. You get chicken, bacon, cheddar cheese. It's good with American too, but I really like the cheddar cheese. Hot sauce and the Publix Chipotle sauce. Not only is it the first pub sub I've had where it's actually spicy, it's the first pub sub I've really had that after a after a half, you don't feel like, okay, I think I could have the other half now. Like, you will be full. It is so good. I don't know if it's because I switched where I get my pub subs from, but oh, my God. It's delightful. I can't. I can't use any other words. It's so unexpectedly yet expectedly perfect. And you got to get it toasted. Toasted or pressed. Either or. Good to know. I don't know that my uh, mayonnaise-loving Midwest palate could handle all that spice, but I'll I'll definitely give it a shot. Uh, So, Jake, can't thank you enough for your time today. Uh, For those of you that want to go follow Jake and uh, his – content creating adventures across the internet you can at jake elman 97 on the twitter machine and of course follow eric and myself at eric c henry underscore and at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore respectively and uh give underdog dynasty a follow while you're at it at underdog dynasty on twitter and like underdog dynasty on facebook uh can't thank you all enough for coming back to the show each and every week i know we're really enjoying it and uh, we are nowhere near done so keep coming back every week on apple podcasts spotify uh, wherever you have found us and continue to keep coming back. Um, so thank you all so much. Once again, check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Uh, happy football watching everybody. Talk to you soon.